Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z podcast, named one of the best commercial real estate podcasts by Business Insider. I'm your host, Steph Bodrini. We review all aspects of commercial real estate investing and bring the top people in the industry to share their best tips and lessons learned. And in today's episode, we're continuing our conversation with Bethany Babcock regarding retail leases. We are covering how to approach requests by national tenants that could hurt your property value, how to balance your TI, your tenant improvement that you're going to give versus free rent and how much to give of each. And also what do retail landlords really care about. Bethany is the founder and principal of Foresight Commercial Real Estate. You should definitely save this episode for when you are leasing your center. Here we go. There is a lot of pushback that we need to give the tenants, right? So Mm -hmm. how do you approach that? Because when you're talking to a national tenant, they have a lot of the upper hand, right? So how would you recommend a landlord walking through that? I like to explain it to them and how it impacts the value. Because sometimes, especially if it's a national tenant, they're working from a real estate department. They've never had to think about it from a landlord's perspective. Yeah, I like to tell them this is how it's actually going to impact them. How do you propose we solve that? Right. And put the burden back on them to come up with a solution. Because once they understand what they're asking for is, you know, a $100,000 ask, but they feel like it's a $10,000 ask. They start to weight their priorities a little bit different because their goal is to get a deal done. And so I think putting the weight back on them or the pressure back on them to be able to come up with solutions is important. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's definitely something that some of these things are worth, are more important than others, right? Sure. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, another one is probably vague or generous assignment language, right? Because tenants are priced based on their risk in retail. And so when you have a tenant that is able to assign their lease to another guarantor, if it's not really clear that that guarantor is of equal or greater strength, it can really impact the value of the building. That's been happening a lot. You see that in single tenant properties where a large operator will set up all of these locations, guarantee the lease, but have the ability to assign the lease to another operator. And so someone will buy it at a lower cap rate with this really strong credit and then later have it assigned to a tenant with lower credit. That's an immediate reduction on the value of the building. And yeah, so I think it's really important for tenants to know what they're actually asking for and understanding that their credit is the value of that building. I usually say it has to be of equal or greater strength as far as a guarantor goes. And I don't I try to avoid putting an exact dollar amount like some of the leases will say I have to have a net worth of X or X number of locations. The problem is, is that that guarantor that you're signing with might start out with X locations and then grow exponentially. So the value of your property has also improved as the credit of your tenant has improved. But if your ability to sublease it to a tenant of lesser quality, now you'll see the value go back down. Yeah, that makes sense. The TI and landlord work letter, I think that happens a lot. I got a LOI just recently where they're like, we're only asking for $20 a square foot, but then they sent a work letter that was worth the equivalent of $150 a square foot. And I think it's really important for tenants to understand what their work letter actually covers and how much it costs a landlord to get there. National tenants are really bad at doing that because they will send a default work letter with all of their LOIs without actually taking a look at each location and adjusting that so that uh, the work letter doesn't look so overwhelming. So 
So a landlord's going to get it and immediately think, I have to do all of this and they're going to go price it out and it'll kill the deal. Tenants really need to look at each specific location and think, okay, well, this one already has the grease trap. This one already has the vent hood and adjust their work letter if they're going to send a work letter. Or it's better just to send a request for TI. But uh, the work letter gets really confusing when tenants haven't actually visited or had a contractor visit the property. Those default templates really can mess things up. So the who do you work with that? Uh, because you're negotiating the lease on a more national level. However, the TI is a local level. Who within the organization do you ask to to work with at that point? I ask them to bring out their person for that they do their build outs with and have them visit the property and with the work letter and then come out and highlight the sections that still need to be done based on what they see or have them do it with an architect because uh, a lot of times they don't mean to be asking for as much as they do. It's just a default that gets slid in and sometimes they don't realize, oh, that area's already been trenched in the back or uh, that one already has a uh, an opening, right? But the landlords get it and immediately pass it off to their architect or their contractor and say, price this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. The other one I think is is probably my one of my bigger pet peeves is the RFP. And that stands for request for proposal. That's really common when office tenant reps uh, come over and bring property tenants to a retail property. You see that a lot in medical because they're used to working with a medical office tenant and trying to bring them to a retail center. In office, RFPs work really well because you send out this criteria and you send it to all these office buildings and you say, this is what I need. Who can give me the best price? And everyone submits it back. You put it in a neat little spreadsheet. It comes back and you select the best option. That doesn't work in retail because there's no two centers that are truly alike, right? How far are they from a light? How far are they from the curb cut, the orientation? How far back does the space go? All of those things are differentiations that don't really get expressed clearly on an RFP. And so when you submit all those responses, it doesn't really give a clear picture of the property. And so a lot of retailers or I'm sorry, retail landlords won't respond to those because they're thinking the tenant hasn't even visited this space. How do I know they're going to like it? And so that's one thing that doesn't translate well from office tenant representation to retail. So so what do you recommend that the landlord do at this point? A landlord should ask them, have they visited the property? And if they haven't, then it's a pretty good indication they're not that serious. Okay. So that's where it should end at that point. Yeah. And they'll say, I'm happy to submit a letter of intent and they can send it. Responding back to the RFPs, there's these like 20 page things with questions about the HVAC system. And usually they'll use the exact same RFP that they've used in preparation for an office building. And they'll ask questions about the elevator. They just don't apply. And it becomes it. very frustrating for both sides. Definitely. Why would a retail tenant use an office template? If it's someone that they've used before for their office space and they're comfortable with that broker and that broker will take them over to retail centers. And even if they don't have a whole lot of experience working for retail centers, they might think that they're the same and just try to apply the same process without accommodating for differentiations in the market. Got it. Got it. So it'll be a, a an office broker trying to get into retail on top of office that typically makes this right. mistake. Right. Okay. And then one other thing that's really important, I think, when people come over to a property on a retail side, if they're coming from a different product type, specifically someone coming from office into retail, retail landlords care more about the use even than they do the rent. And so brokers will sometimes get frustrated, or tenants will get frustrated when the first question the landlord asks or their landlord rep asks and says, what use? And they'll think, just tell me the price. I'm like, No, it depends with what use. 
Uh, and they want to know who are they? How many locations do they have? You can't just say, I can't disclose. It wastes everyone's time because there might be exclusives that prevent that use from being at that property. And that might keep them from uh, doing a lease or waste everyone's time. But also they might not like the use or it might not fit with the overall feel of the center. There's a lot more psychology that goes into leasing out a shopping center than leasing an office building, for example. I was just going to say, you, you got to really make sure there's a lot of chemistry between the tenants and that they complement each other. And if you do it right and you merchandise the center well, all the tenants' sales improve. And so sure. it's really an art. It's not just a matter of leasing the space on a price like an office space. 100%. Yeah, it's the overall health of the ecosystem. So how would you encourage the tenant to disclose? Is it a grocery store? Is it a <laughs> clothing store? Yeah, I explain to them, I, I say, hey, if you can't disclose it to me, I'm not gonna be able to give you a whole lot more information because I have a list of, you know, 15 or 16 exclusives at this property. Yeah. And I need to make sure that we even have an option. Can, can you tell me the category and the credit profile? And they'll say, okay, it's a bakery and they have 30 locations. Okay, great. And then we can continue the conversation. Thank you. And then the last one was that I think it catches a lot of people by surprise is not every landlord wants the longest lease term possible. Brokers are very much incentivized to do a very long-term lease. And sometimes the bro the landlord doesn't want that. And sometimes the tenant doesn't either. And so it's really important to make sure that everyone's asking the right questions. A landlord is assumed to want the longest lease term possible. And that's not always the case. One of the reasons is because they might want to stagger the expirations so that you don't have more than 30% rolling over in a year. Sometimes, Or sometimes the commissions might throw off the deal, and that's one way to get it back on track by shortening it a little bit. Or they might have a different long-term plan for the property. It's not always longer. It's not always better. Well, Bethany, clearly you are a pro at this. You have been doing this for a while. Let's talk a bit about TI. How do you balance TI with rent? and timing as well, because some of these things can take a long time to get leased. Let's think from a landlord's perspective, right? You need to pay, <laughs> you need to pay your mortgage and your taxes and everything else. Can you talk a little bit about, about that, how, how to balance it with, with a very solid tenant? Yeah, boy, that's a tough question because every landlord is going to be a little bit different. Okay. It's going to be different based on whether or not they had uh, just paid out a bunch of TI to another tenant, or they have another big event coming up, like a refinance, their motivation is going to be a little different. And so the way they structure things is going to be a different based on each property and each landlord. I will say that uh, some of the more creative landlords will try to set it up in such a way that they can offer free rent uh, that matches it of maybe $1.2 um, in free rent for every dollar in TI to incentivize people to do it more in free rent if they're cash constrained. Um, they might have a little metric like that that they'll use, but it really depends on each landlord and property and also tenant because depending on the quality and if they really want them there, I mean, a landlord can go out and get financing for that TI or something. Mm -hmm. A lot of people know that lawyers can kill deals and you are not an attorney. Uh, however, I would at this point, you know, from what I'm hearing from you, if I were to buy a center, I would prefer that you review the leases first? Is this something that you guys provide as a service and give some feedback that, of course, you disclose you're, we're not attorneys, so uh, this and that. However, these are the things that we like and or don't like about the leases of this center that you're looking at, pur at purchasing. Is this a service that you provide right now or may want to provide in the future? 
Yeah, that's definitely something we do when we're representing buyers is go through as part of the due diligence process and we'll advise them on the economic impact of those leases. We don't really get into the liability portion of it. That's where the attorneys step in. But when we look at how that particular lease impacts the value of the property and performance and operations of the property, then yeah, that's definitely something we get involved in. So you do take a look at each lease uh, yes. at the main bullet. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. We'll go through and we abstract each lease, especially if we're going to be taking over the property management. It's pretty common when someone buys a property, then we'll, then we'll do the property management as well. Um, they get abstracted two different ways. One from the uh, purchasing side for those that are will we'll help put that together when they're going to bid debt. Um, and those abstracts look a little bit different and it's based all on the financial terms. And then the property management team does it again based on the rules and processes of the shopping center, as well as the rents and the schedules before they enter it into their accounting. So they get pretty scrutinized. Do you provide services outside of Texas? We do, not as much. We do a lot in Texas, but we have some properties out of state that we, uh, in conjunction with local brokers there, that we will manage and lease. Okay. Is there anything else that we haven't covered with regards to leases that you think is important for our audience to know? I would say there's one thing that I'm seeing a lot of right now is uh, when you're looking at the leases, a lot of times you'll see tenants that will try to change out the language in the CAM. And that's one thing that I think is really important for tenants to realize when you're doing that, you're not really asking for a huge economic change, but you're asking for an administrative burden on the property management staff. And so that's why a lot of owners are reluctant to give in on those terms. It has little to do with the economics and a whole lot to do with keeping the leases consistent and being able to operate that center effectively. So sometimes they might give up somewhere else on the negotiations just to keep that language the same. Wonderful. Thank you for bringing that up. Bethany, sure. it has been wonderful having you here. Thank you so much for saying yes to my random Twitter uh, <laughs> X message. And uh, I would love to have you back here at some point in the future to maybe cover some other topics regarding retail slash leases. But until then, how can our listeners get in touch with you? Sure, they can reach us. Uh, they can visit our website, which is uh, foresightcre.com, which is F-O-R-E-S-I-T-E-C-R-E.com. And they can also uh, reach out to me via Twitter as well. That's at Bethany J. Babcock. And as always, all of these links will be under show notes. Bethany, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> and if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at monicarlorei.com. We send every single week a short and sweet newsletter with all the major points of each week's episode. And of course, we also talk about our deals in the pipeline, which are very exciting. And I will see you next time.